Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Uh, well, let me add a good morning to you as well. My name is uh, Tim. I serve as one of the pastors uh, here. Before we, we jump into this sermon, uh, I want to put something on, on your radar, which is uh, last week we launched into this series around the Sabbath. And to kind of add to that, we're going to have a, a Wednesday night uh, Sabbath class uh, to go a little bit deeper into the, to what the scriptures say about the Sabbath, as well as uh, to invite you to consider what that might look like in your own um, life. And so the, the idea is this will be an intergenerational class. So if you're a high school student, we especially would love for you to be there. Um, and if you're an adult, if this is interesting to you, one thing we'd ask is that you'd come with the idea of hoping to be in a space where high school students are present and knowing them as, as well. So it, it's truly intergenerational. So one, if you're like, man, the Sabbath, it's that last week was interesting, or maybe this morning will be interesting to you. Um, and, and you're intrigued, we would love to have you. It'll start uh, September 13th on Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8. And if you have uh, kids, younger kids, uh, we have our, our clubs going on then as well. So you'll be able to drop them off at the clubs and then you can come to the class. If you have more questions, uh, don't, feel free to reach out to me. Um, you can sign up uh, on a computer in the hallway as well after this service. Or you can ask uh, Beth, Bethany Thomas or Amy Weston as well if you have any questions uh, that you'd like to know more about that. So with that, let me pray for us, and then we will jump into uh, week two of our Sabbath series. Father, I've, I've never met anyone who does not want rest. And yet, for me, for many in this room, it, it eludes us. Uh, how can we taste your rest in this world? Uh, so as we open your scriptures, may you, may you show us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, is rest in our restless world even possible? And that's why we're doing eight weeks on this biblical theme of the Sabbath. But I expect throughout this series there to be two objections underneath that you're thinking about as we, as we work through this series. Objection one is, I, I do want rest... But not Sabbath rest. Because some of us hear Sabbath and we think weird legalistic rules to govern a day of your life. Brad Heitzma, our Valpo campus pastor, grew up in South Holland. And he, he said there, churches made clear you were not allowed to wash your car on the Sabbath. So that meant people washed their cars in their garages on the Sabbath. So your neighbors didn't know. And there's little trails of water leaking out under the garage doors to, uh, so that you couldn't cover up your Sabbath breaking. I mean, is that what the Sabbath is all about? Governing your car maintenance. Objection two might be, well, I want rest, but a Sabbath is not realistic. I mean, how is a Sabbath possible with with young kids. Uh, recently, my kids have started playing in our vans for fun. 
when our vans are in our driveway not moving, our kids will sit in there for hours sometimes. I'll come to my van and stuff's been moved around because they've had a grand old time. But when we drive in our van with our kids, within 10 minutes they're screaming at one another. How can you rest with creatures like these around? Or maybe how is Sabbath rest possible with all the relationships in your life? I was recently sitting down to watch a Cubs game. The very epitome of, of Sabbath, right? Images of Wrigley Field filling your home. The cracks of a baseball bat. And God said that it was good. But as I, I sat down to watch uh, the Cubs game, I, I got a text message that was from someone. And, and reading that text, I knew I was on the front end of hours of conversation. Relational conflict. I just wanted to watch a baseball game for a couple of hours and enjoy rest. And now I know conflict is coming. How's rest possible with our work? There's always another task to complete. Always another email to finish. Another customer that demands your immediate response. Another machine that breaks that must be Fixed. In this type of environment, how is Sabbath rest even possible? And so that's the question I want to address this morning. Is Sabbath rest possible? And here's my answer to that question. Yes. No. Yes. And that's the outline. So first, is Sabbath rest possible? Yes. And so I want to look through the three lenses I just mentioned. Kids, relationships, and work. Because the the text of Genesis 1 we just read has a lot to say about those three lenses. Kids, relationship, and work. So let's start with lens 1, kids. Genesis 1, 28. God creates human beings and says to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So the original command of human beings is to have lots of more human beings. That to be human is is to care for and raise children. To be engaged with the raising of the next generation as a parent, as a grandparent. Holding the baby in a nursery, a Sunday school teacher. That is what it means to be human. That's why God created us. God wants this earth full of human beings. And that's good news. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a grandparent, if you're a godparent, if you have neighbors that are young living next door to you. Because if God made us for the raising and caring of children, that means we can Sabbath even in the midst of the chaos of kids. The reason you may not be able to Sabbath is not because you have kids. Because Genesis 1, they're created. And you're created for the very purpose of filling the earth with beautiful human beings. So that's lens one, kids. They're not the reason we're not Sabbathing. Lens two is is work. Uh, So again, uh, 128, Genesis 128. To read beyond what I just read. So God says to the human beings, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
So notice, human beings are not created to do nothing. We're given an earth full of potential. Uh, Animals, empty space. We are to use our ingenuity, creativity, and God-given design to make something of the world God has given to us. To make it better than what we found. To farm it, to create from it, to build on it, to make something of the world. And that's good news because whatever your work is this morning, whatever your vocation is from uh, this afternoon through the rest of the week, if you're a farmer, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, a building, construction, whatever you do, you were created to do those things. And rest is possible for us in the midst of our work because God made you to work. Lens three, final, relationship. Uh, We didn't read this passage, but if you skipped on down to Genesis 2, 18, uh, God had only created one human being initially, and and we find that's the only not good in all of creation. And so we read Genesis 2, 18. The Lord, God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God creates a marriage, the most intimate human relationship. But it's not just about marriage. We see in Genesis 2 the importance of friendship, of community throughout the Scriptures. It is not good for a human being to be alone. God's design is not for us to be islands, but we are to be relationally connected to one another. And that's good news Because that means rest is possible for us even in the midst of our relationships. Because God made us to be in community with one another. And so it's in the midst of these things. In the midst of of kids. In the midst of work. In the midst of human relationships and marriage. That God speaks the Sabbath into existence. Genesis 2. Right in the midst of, of commanding to human beings. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Then we get day seven. On the seventh day, God finished the work he had done and rested, stopped on the seventh day from all his work. And so it's raising kids. It's being in relationship. It's doing work in Sabbath. All connected to one another. And that's important because the things we look at in our life and say, I, I cannot Sabbath with these things present. Well, they're all present together in Genesis 1. So the problem may be us. There's something else going on here than my kids or my work or my relationships that's preventing me from Sabbathing, from resting. So what is it? Uh, So point one, is rest possible? Yes, because kids, work, relationships are right next to Sabbath. Point two, then, is rest possible? No. Why is rest so elusive to us, then, if all of these things are together in the text? Well, remember last week, if you were here, that God creates the world. And hopefully you remember how uh, we described the creation of the world. On day one, God created light and and darkness. Think of, of light and darkness as buckets. 
And then day four, he fills the light bucket with the sun, and he fills the darkness bucket with the moon and the stars. So day one, he, f- he, he creates voids of light and darkness. And day four, he fills the voids with sun and moon and stars. Day two, God uh, separates the expanses. There's the waters below and the waters above. And God, then on day five, fills the waters below with fish and creatures of the sea and, and fills the expanse above the sky with birds, with winged creatures on day five. Then day three, God separates land from the waters and and puts beings, animals, on the land, eventually culminating in human beings on day six. So it's, it's day one, day two, day three. He creates buckets, voids, so to speak, and then days, days four, five, and six, he fills them back in. And then that raises the question, okay, well, Day seven doesn't have a corresponding day. So what's God going to fill day seven with? And we get the answer in verse three of chapter two. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Which when God's made something holy in creation stories, it meant that's where I live now. And as I said, God God didn't come to live on a mountain where if you want to worship God, you got to find the mountain. He didn't come to live on a tree where if you want to worship God, you, you got you to gotta find the tree where he lives. Or, or he built a building, a temple. You got to go find the temple for God to go worship, or for you to go worship him. No, he, he filled a day. And then if you remember, I said that the day never ended because there was no evening and morning on the seventh day. And we were invited into a perpetual, unending, seventh day blessing full of the presence of God. So then Israel was to mimic that pattern in their worship. Every seventh day, they stop work, they ceased to be blessed by God into to worship. And here's what we have to understand. By, by stopping, there's far more going on than just not working. The question is not, will you practice the Sabbath? Can you stop work on the seventh day? I mean, that is a question, but there's a question underneath that question. And the Israelites have always understood that. And uh, that's why uh, Jewish scholar uh, Matis Yahu Savat speaks about the question underneath the question of the Sabbath. And here's what he writes. One day out of seven, the Israelite is to renounce dominion over his own time and recognize God's dominion over it. Simply put, every seventh day, the Israelite renounces his autonomy and affirms God's dominion over him. In conclusion, every seventh day, the Israelite renounces dominion over his own time, his autonomy, and recognizes God's dominion over time and thus over himself. The Sabbath is about announcing God's dominion over you. It's renouncing your autonomy. That the time and your life are under the sovereign care of God. And so the question of the Sabbath doesn't become, hey, can you stop one day in seven? But are you autonomous and can live however you want? Or do you exist under the dominion and care of the Creator God? Well, the question of the Sabbath is this. Do I exist under my own dominion and care? 
or under the care and dominion of the Creator God? Do I exist under my own dominion and care? Do I, do I care for myself or do I live under the care of the Creator? And if you can't stop one day in seven, then that means you live under your own care and autonomy. But if you can, it means you recognize someone else is sovereign over you. So God fills the seventh day with himself. And, and again, we, we notice there's no refrain. There was evening and there was morning the first day. That's verse, uh, verse 3. Verse 5, there was evening and morning the second day. Verse 13, there's evening and morning the third day. And that continues. But day 7, we don't get that. And I hope you remember why. It's probably the most important line from last week's sermon. The, the words of scholar Robert Lowry. What's happening in Genesis 2 is, is literally the sun has not yet set on God's Sabbath. The human beings were invited to continually live into the seventh day rest. The seventh day blessing of God's sovereign care and, and, and love over us. And then the question comes, do I want to live under the seventh day blessing? Do I exist under my own dominion and care or under the dominion and care of the seventh day blessing of the creator God? And so how would you answer that? question. And I would actually say the way you're answering that question is whether or not you can practice the Sabbath. If you can't practice the Sabbath, you can't stop one day in seven. You believe you must take care of yourself because God won't take care of you. And you can't trust his blessing. You must grab for your own. And that's what happens in Genesis 3. The human beings reject the sovereign care of God, the seventh-day blessing of God, and decide they would rather live under their own dominion and care. They will choose what is good and evil from now on. They will not live under the seventh-day blessing of God. And that cuts us off from the seventh-day unending blessing of God. Genesis 3 ends not with... There was no evening and morning because you now live in the seventh day. It instead ends with, to dust you, to du for dust you are, to dust you shall return. You're going to be ground into the dust. You no longer get the rest of God. You're going to be ground to the dust until you die. And, and, and God works through each of those three lenses we mentioned. It starts with children. That to raise children is now painful. As Genesis 3.16 says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. To raise children is now painful. Uh, now I, I could tell a few stories because I've been at four live childbirths. I've told a couple of them already. I'm not going to tell one this morning because we don't have time. But I want to be clear. Like, this goes beyond the, the actual childbirth moment. Being a father, a mother, a grandparent, a godparent... Is difficult. And proof of that is the current parent industrial complex we live under. I mean, just Google parenting books and you will find all of the contradictory advice you need to be the best possible parents. One book says, be a tiger mom. The next book will tell you, don't do that. Be affectionate and gentle. 
The next book will tell you, stop helicoptering your kids. Let them free range. And the only things these, bo- do book, these books do for parents, because I've read them, is relieve our anxiety for like five minutes. Because five minutes, I can think, oh, I've got this under control. I just have to do this book, and everything will work out. And the only book I remember in all that chaos of reading during my early parenting years was the book One, Two, Three, Magic. Has anyone read that? I'm just curious. Uh, which we're still trying to do, and it's never worked. I mean, how, how are you going to rest in the midst of all this? And then they get older. How many sports should they play? Should they learn a musical instrument or both? Because that's time. Should they take lessons? How much time on screens should they get? Should I force them to do anything? Should I let them decide? How much should I bother them about practicing the thing that they said that they wanted to do? And it's fear, it's anxiety. It's an undercurrent of worry underneath parenting. And that's what God's naming to Eve here. Ultimately because we said, we, we don't want to live under your sovereign care. We'll take it from here. And so there's pain in childbearing. Is rest possible under these conditions? No. Second, to, to be in relationship with others now makes us restless. God says something to the woman um, here that I want to I name. Uh, she, he says to the woman, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What a terrible picture of marriage. Or of any human relationship. Of one person ruling over another. But to speak to marriage... Uh, A man ruling over a woman. That's very different from what we'll read later in Ephesians 5 when Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I just want to pause here for a minute. Um, If this is your marriage, where the husband rules over the wife, Please get help. And men, if that's you, if your treatment of your wife is such that you use your physical strength to intimidate her, to yell or raise your voice at her, get help. Repent. And we want to help you as a church. Please reach out to me. Reach out to a pastor, the elders. Men were not created to rule over women. Or women, if, if you're in type, that type of marriage where your husband yells at you, intimidates you, works you over in emotional abuse, or physical, physically intimidates you, we will help you as a church. And I say that because I've, I've been a pastor long enough. I assume in a room this large that's true of some marriages in this room. Please don't sit in silence because we do not want to be a place where men rule over women, but a place where husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But to be clear, we don't just see that dynamic in marriages. 
Because we've rejected the sovereign care of our creator God and have tried to take dominion of our own lives, we're all kings and queens walking around trying to rule over other people so they'll give us what we want from them. I say this someone who, I just turned 40, and I am shocked now at 40 at the number of friendships, marriages, relationships that have devolved and fallen apart through years. Because people are ruling over one another. I mean, how is Sabbath rest possible in this type of world? And then third and, and finally, we desire... Our work to bear fruit, but we keep producing thorns. For, for a moment, just what, what is your vocation during the week? We all have one. You might be a student, teacher, parent, stay-at-home parent. Um, what is your week vocation? Because uh, God says some very dark things about that vocation in this passage. Verse 17 Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Those are some of the darkest words in all of the Bible. You're going to work really hard. You will eat, but you're going to be ground to the dust and die. And we experience that. We try to do good work, but never can quite get it right. A machine breaks. We study for a test, and we sit down to write out our answers, and we don't remember anything we studied the night before. A contract you were certain was going to happen and change the dynamics of your business falls through out of nowhere. But it's more than that. That phrase, by the sweat of the brow, means there's a fear and anxiety around our our world, our work now. And this is the way theologian A.J. Swoboda puts it in his book, Subversive Sabbath. This phrase, by the sweat of your brow, uh, this was an ancient way of speaking of a new anxiety around work that is the result of fear and accomplishment. Sin, in the words of Sandra Richter, causes work to become about perspiration-inducing fear. We don't just work, we work by the sweat of our brow. We're not just working, but working, working to, to keep our universe in order, because the universe is now under my own sovereign dominion and care. So I must work to keep it all under control, to keep it all where I want it to be. And what God says is, it's not going to work for you. You, you can't. It's going to produce thorns. You'll get bread. There will be good from your work, no doubt. But ultimately, it's thorns, it's thistles, and to dust you shall return. I remember being on, on the phone with a congregant of mine from Kansas City right as, as COVID was launching. And he'd always been very standoffish, but you know, we, we tried to call everyone in our church as COVID was starting because we weren't meeting at that time. So I reached out, how are you doing? And, and he says... I'm basically four days away from possibly shutting down my business that my father handed to me because I can't make payroll. He had to shut down all of his stores and believed everything he and his dad had built was ending in, in four days. It's not just work anymore. It's work by the sweat of your 
your brow. Is rest possible? No. Not in this environment. Uh, And at this point, you may be thinking, this might be the most depressing sermon I have ever heard. (laughs) But I'm just trying to name the anxiety I know is in all of us. Just trying to be honest about it. And also honest about why it's there. Which is that we wanted to take care of ourselves. God said, seventh day unending blessing. We're like, now we got this. And now the costs have been enormous to us. And in an environment where the the universe is under your sovereign dominion and care, you will never rest. But there's another environment available to you. And so let's end. There is rest possible. uh, No. But yes. Uh, In just a few chapters after Genesis 3, God will call a man named Abram. And say, hey, go to a land I'm going to show you later. And I'm going to bless you there. And Abraham is eventually given a new name. It's Abraham, which means father of many. And his many descendants grow into a a very significant nation down in Egypt. But in Egypt, they become slaves. Slaves who have no rest. That's next week's sermon. But to make a long story short, God, God breaks them out of slavery. He frees them. And then he gives them ten commandments. That are to define their identity, who they are. The type of people they are to be. And this is the fourth of those Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So notice a couple of things. One, one of the most important things for God as he's forming this nation together is that they experience his Sabbath rest. But notice, notice why they are to Sabbath. Not for car maintenance issues. He's bringing them back to the seventh day. That unending day of blessing they had lost. He's saying, I'm, I'm gonna, you, can, you can come back and taste a piece of it. It's not the full thing. That's, we got a ways to go through the rest of the story. But God is saying that, that unending blessing of sovereign care and dominion that you lost. The promise is not over. So, so you are to embody that. And every seventh day you're to stop working and to worship the Lord your God because someday you're going to get back into the seventh day. And you're to, to build into your bodily rhythm that promise. And you don't have to work every seventh day because you're under now the sovereign dominion and care of the Lord your God. Are you starting to see the Sabbath is not about weird rules one day a week? There's something far more important going on hear about who is and isn't washing their cars on the Sabbath. And so let me end with two thoughts and then I'll I'll take my seat. The first is, when I stop one day in seven, I am refusing to live under my own care. Uh, On December 19th, 1973, Johnny Carson told a joke. 
a joke with significant implications. Uh, 1973 was a time of runaway inflation, uh, oil and food shortages. So, so everyone felt uh, vulnerable. Everything felt invulnerable or vulnerable. And so even though there was uh, no toilet paper shortage, Johnny Carson cracked a joke about how now there is a toilet paper shortage. And everyone thought it was a joke, or, or Johnny Carson meant it to be a joke. America took it seriously. And the next day went out and bought all of the toilet paper in the United States. And then there was a toilet paper shortage after the joke. And so, so, much, so much of our restlessness when it comes to our parenting, our work, and our relationships is that we believe there's a scarcity that there's not enough. That's so what was happening with the t- inflation, oil prices. Oh no, toilet paper's next. We've got to go grab it because we're going to run out. Soon, and, and I just want to say, if you're trying to care for your own life, there is a massive shortage in scarcity you will continually experience. If you're running your own life, you will never have enough resources. To practice the Sabbath, however, is to stop one day in seven and to define 24 hours of your life where you, where you will not work. Where you instead will seek to be filled with the blessing of God. To announce, I can stop because I'm not living under my own care. I'm not taking care of myself. So I don't have to work seven days a week because my life is not in my own charge. And I realize that raises all kinds of questions. What does that mean? What does that look like with kids? My job, my employer would never let me do that. We're going to get to those questions later. Because again, we're not, we're not seeking legalistic answers to those questions. We're only going to offer invitations. Give you the theology. This is, this is what the seventh day is about. Now what does it look like in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament? But I, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. Working seven days a week so that I can live under my own care and buy everything materially imaginable to me in my life. It doesn't look like that. And yet when we get to the root of it, for many of us, the reason we struggle with Sabbath is not because of our kids, our work, our relationships. It's because we want things we can't have. Or we expect a life that is impossible. And so, um, if you don't want to practice a Sabbath, to stop and receive the blessing of God. It's worth asking why not and giving specific answers to those questions. Could it be because you want to make more money? Could it be because you cannot say no to kids' activities because what is most important to you is your kids' personal success so they can be autonomous and run their own life apart from God? We're not going to give everyone must do this answers. And yet this is, the Sabbath is at the very heart of who runs your life? Whose care do you live under? And when you can one day in seven for 24 hours say, it's not mine. I do not live under my own care. So I don't have to answer email today. I don't have to respond to text messages. I don't have to uh, go into the office. I can... I can stop and receive the blessed seventh day of God because someday I'm going to get back in. I may not experience it today because life is broken, but someday I'm getting back in. And to show you that I believe I'm getting back in one day is every one day in seven, I, I stop. 
So when I stop one day in seven, I'm refusing to live under my own care. Secondly, when I stop one day in seven, I'm trusting God to bless me with his rest. I mean, to practice the Sabbath means I believe Genesis 2, 1 and 3, which is that the story of the Bible is God's desire to pour out his abundance, his goodness, his fruitfulness onto me. I, I don't have to work nonstop because I know God's intentions for me. I don't have to grab them for myself. The story of the Bible is not a story of scarcity, but a story of abundance and goodness. And God specifically orders that universe so that I can have one day to taste that abundance. And so, as, as Mark Buchanan writes in The Rest of God, most of, us live we're, that we're, most of us live afraid that we're almost out of time. But you and I, we're heirs of eternity. We're not short of days. And so here in Genesis 3, even as God is describing to us the great cost of deciding to live under our own care, even though God is promising um, to, 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 or even here I should say, God is promising to reinstitute the Sabbath rest of God. So in the very place where God says, you're going to be ground into the dust, in that very place God's already saying, but that will not be the last word. In fact, it's the first word of Genesis 3. God says to the serpents, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And what a verse. That what we're told is, is someday a descendant of Eve will do battle with the serpent. And that descendant of Eve, it's gonna get, it's gonna get, he's going to get snake bitten. But he's going to crush the snake's head as he is, is bitten by the snake. The God promises to destroy what robs us of rest to reverse these curses through a future descendant of Eve. And that descendant of Eve was not just a descendant of Eve. He was the Son of God, begotten of the Father, very God of very God. That is how committed God is to you to get back into the seventh-day rest. He sent his own Son as the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. And Jesus got bit by the snake. Read the Gospels. Look at his life. The opposition he faced, mostly around the Sabbath. And all he did was promise rest and healing and to say, I am the Sabbath myself. And the snake got him. But even as the snake bit him through the crucifixion, Jesus' resurrection was his stepping of the head of anything evil in our lives. The cross being the moment of triumph victory where Jesus defeated a restless and broken world to ensure the rest and Sabbath of God is now available to you. And so I don't know what's stealing your rest this morning. I am, I'm sure it's heavy. And I don't know where God will take that story. But what I do know is the Father gave Jesus to you to, to be ground into the dust that you might be raised into his newness of life. And if God can do that, the Sabbath rest of God is available to you even now. So why not schedule once a week to, to taste it? Because the Sabbath is not a question of when you're going to wash your car. It's whose care do you live under? Your own? Or the Sabbath rest of God? Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.